Well, in the, uh, in the spirit of, of uh, Miranda, I wonder if you could turn to the person next to you and say really emphatically, really loudly, it's not my fault. Can you do that for me? Just indulge me. Did that feel good? You see, as a, as a society, we're, we're really masters at blame, aren't we? And uh, we can find all sorts of reasons to blame. We blame our spouses. We blame the government. We blame the government because they get too involved or we blame the government because they don't get involved enough. Um, we blame our families, our employers, even our church and maybe even God for the situation we find ourselves in. And often we're very slow to take a, whole, a long, hard look at ourselves in the mirror and realise that sometimes the fault is with us. And all along, as we're blaming, our relationships are suffering. Troy's introduced our theme for this month of quantum shifts. And uh, many of us need a huge quantum shift in the way we uh, approach and see certain situations. I remember reading in uh, Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I couldn't tell you those seven habits because I'm not highly effective. I remember them once, but um, I probably should go back over it. But he tells this story uh, of a, he's in a train on a, early on a Sunday morning and in the same carriage is this uh, family. There's a, a father who's looking a bit disaffected and there's these children just running riot in the carriage. They're running up and down and they're disturbing everybody. They're shouting, they're flicking newspapers out of the hands of people reading and all that sort of thing. And after a while, after this had gone on for some time, Stephen Covey says it just got to him and he, he leaned over to the father and he said, hey, can't you see what your children are doing? They're, they're affecting the other passengers. They're disturbing the other passengers. And this guy sort of looks up from his days and he said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We've just come from the hospital. Uh, my wife died an hour ago and I guess the kids don't really know how to handle it and frankly, I don't know either. And you see, Covey said that actually at that point he just had a, a quantum shift uh, in his, his paradigm from being uh, critical to being empathetic. And I think we've probably all had situations like that where our, when we actually knew some more information and we understood what was going on in somebody else's life, it totally changed our perspective on things. And so this month we're going to look at four simple phrases. They're on a card if you've got one of those cards in front of you. Um, and when we're bold enough to say some of these things, then they can make a, a massive difference in our relationships. And the first of these is this simple seven words, I was wrong, will you forgive me? It's like an apology really, isn't it? I wonder what apologies look like for you. Are you good at apologising? Maybe not. I, uh, I, I've got on the screen... Uh, one after the other, five different ways that we tend to apologise. And, and I've called them the, the certain, certain person. And the first one is the no apology ever person. And, and some people are like, and Ramon did say it, but some people are, are like Fonzie. And, and you've seen some of those episodes where he, he says, oh, he's trying to be told to say, I was, but the words just won't come out. They're like st- sticking his throat. I was, and it just sort of, and he does it numerous times with different, it just doesn't come out. It's really, really hard, isn't it, to say, I was wrong. Some of us probably are like that. We feel pretty good about ourselves and we feel we don't actually affect other people too badly and so we're the no apology ever person. We're never in the wrong and it's always someone else who's in the wrong. And then I've got the other one is the if you're offended person 
Um, I don't know if you've, got, if you've ever had one of those people who say, come up to you and they say, oh, I'm really sorry if you were offended by what I said, uh, or I'm really sorry if you were offended what, by what uh, I uh, appeared to do. And it's actually a really Clayton's type apology, isn't it? It's like the apology you give when you're not giving an apology. Because the, the, the tenor and the, and the tone of the words all communicate what I did wasn't wrong, it was all about you. You, you just you lack resilience. You should toughen up a bit. You're too sensitive, way, way, way too sensitive. So there's the, if you're an offended person, it doesn't actually do a lot for you when somebody says that to you, does it? And I think we're all guilty of it. I, I know I've, I've been like that a bit. Um, and then there's the, the you were wrong and I forgive you person. This is the totally opposite really, isn't it? You were wrong and I forgive you. Um, the opposite of the first two, but a person who brings up forgiveness only as a way of expressing all the ways, all the ways that you've sinned against them. They say things like, I forgive you for the way that you've always been so condescending and judgmental. I forgive you for the way you hurt me and offended me with your cruel and discouraging words. I forgive you for all the ways that your self-centred, arrogant actions have hurt me and countless others. And you weren't even aware of all these dreadful things you've done. You know, those sort of uh, words can just be so unbelievably hurtful to people and yet I think there, there are some of us who are pretty quick to go to someone and say, you were wrong, but I've forgiven you. It's all over and the person didn't even know what they were being forgiven for half the time. Uh, so you need to be very, very careful, don't we? And then there's the, I'm sorry, I apologise person. Now, my wife's sitting here, so I've got to be careful what I say, but I think I'm a little bit like this sort of person. I'm sorry, I apologise. And it sounds good, doesn't it? I'm sorry, I apologise. But the way you say it's quite critical, really. I'm sorry, I apologise. Or, I'm sorry, I apologise. But even in this, I'm not admitting that I was wrong and uh, I'm not actually asking for forgiveness. I'm just sorry and I apologise. I actually want this thing to be over with because I want our relationship to be better. Um, but actually, I don't really know quite how to deal with this thing. So, I'm sorry, I apologise. And I hope it all goes away. But it tends to not, does it? And then there's this other one, and it's the, I'm sorry, I was wrong, here are my excuses. Now, we never actually say it like that, do we? But it's like that. I'm sorry, I was wrong, but, and I've just written down a few things. I'm sorry, I was wrong, but, you know, everybody's been jumping on me all day. It's just been one of those days, and I just, I'm at the end of my tether, so I'm taking it out on you, and I'm sorry, but that's how it is. Or, I'm sorry, uh, you know, my parents were, were just, you know, they were dysfunctional when I was growing up and it's all, that's how I am. Or I was just having a bad day or, or the boss was just a jerk today, it was just a pain and it's all coming out now. Um, or no one ever taught me how to handle my emotions. Or your words and your actions were just too much for any normal person to handle so I'm sorry but that's why. And so we give all of these sorts of excuses and I don't know about you but I can identify with quite a number of those. We, we struggle to genuinely come uh, and admit that we're wrong and just say those words, will you forgive me? And you know, when we refuse to speak those words or when we speak them like this without the sincerity that says, I want to actually fix this, I want to admit that I'm wrong and I want to um, ask for your forgiveness and I don't want to make any excuses, when we, we, we don't do that, bitterness festers, our, our relationships go sour, estrangement starts to ensue, and hatred grows. And, you know, we live in a world where we see that happening at every level, don't we, in, a, in a private and public spheres, where um, things just go from bad to worse because things aren't dealt with quickly. 
And so reconciliation becomes less and less and less and less likely because the damage continues to build. And so I want to suggest that the right way is these seven words. And I've got to be careful that I always say seven because I often just leave out the words will you and say please, but it's I was wrong, will you forgive me? Those seven words. When you come to someone saying I'm sorry, I was wrong and you might even name it, I was wrong for doing this or this or for saying this or this and you come with no excuses and no counter accusations and no attempt to humiliate the other person and then when you continue, would you please forgive me? you've started down a path that is likely to lead to healing and to peace and to restoration of relationship. When we're prepared to speak words like that, we actually crack open doors that have been closed maybe really tightly and we we begin to give the opportunity for relationships to mend and for things to change. You know, Jesus in his famous uh, Sermon on the Mountain He knew how important it was to deal with fractured relationships. And uh, I just want to read to you this. This is in Matthew chapter 5. And there's a few places there where Jesus actually talks about the old law and he says, you've heard that it was said, do not do this, but I say to you this. And he actually uh, redefines in a sense the law. So you've heard it was said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, don't look lustfully on a woman. You've heard that it was said, do not murder, but I say to you. So you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice right there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, the next little quick once, it says, when you're on the way to court with your adversary... Settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into a prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. And you look at those two two, uh, little stories, simple, simple little stories, and if you put them in our context today, it'd be like saying, look, if you're sitting here in church, you're sitting here, come with the intention of gathering together and and worshipping God and hearing from God, and you suddenly remember this person that's got a grievance against you, you get up out of your seat and you leave church at once. Now, I'm not saying those people have left already, there have been a few <laughs> that were doing that, but he's saying there's an urgency about this. You get up out of your seat and you seek out that person and you ask for forgiveness. You don't wait until the gathering's ended. It's that urgent. You first go and then you come. It's as if you first go and be reconciled to your brother and then you come back and you're in a right place to be worshipping God. And so the stress in the first example and also in the second is on this sense of the, the, the need for immediate action. In the very act of worship, if we remember the grievance, we're to break off from our worship and put it right. And then in the second one, in the very act of going to court, on our way there, we're to settle our debt. As soon as we realise we're in the wrong, We do what it takes to make it right before it gets worse. I wonder how rarely um, you or I follow this call of Jesus for immediate action when it comes to dealing with broken or fractured or damaged relationships. 
I know for me I can stew and I can procrastinate and I can try and justify myself and I can blame and I can excuse and I can even accuse others when actually all I need to do is say these seven simple words. You know, in this context of this little story, Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said, but I say, and he's talking about murder. And murder is a horrible crime. And we look at it and we think, that is just heinous. We just cannot get our heads around what it would be like to kill someone else. But Jesus says, I say to you, but you know, things like malicious anger and insult, they're horrible too. And so is every deed or word or look or thought by which you hurt or offend a fellow human being. And so this simple, you will not murder, which we think, oh, that's for someone else, it becomes very pertinent to each one of us, doesn't it? Because I think each one of us have been guilty of being angry or of insulting someone or of looking at them or speaking to them in a way that offended them or hurt them. And for Jesus, these really practical uh, instructions are just the logical implications of this sixth commandment, you shall not murder. If we want to avoid committing murder in God's sight, we've got to take every step to live in peace and, and, and love the people that we live with. So we must never allow estrangement to remain because it grows really quickly. And you would know that in a relationship. If you just go quiet, and that's probably the way I deal with things, I go too quiet and I don't talk about it and then it's harder and harder and harder and harder to talk about it. And Ramon's expressed that beautifully this morning, just how difficult it was over time for him to actually express how he felt because it was neglected and neglected and it took a big thing for it to change. You know, we, we, we must not delay to put these relationships right. We mustn't, the Bible says, even allow the sun to set on our anger. Immediately, as soon as we're conscious of a broken relationship, we need to take the initiative to mend it, to apologise for the grievance, apologise for the pain that we've caused, pay the debt that we've left unpaid and make amends. You know, some things just don't stack up together, do they? And the Old Testament writers made this really clear and and emphasised exactly the same thing that Jesus is emphasising. Just look at these two simple passages. This is from one of the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah. He says, Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, that's a, a god, another god, and follow other gods you've not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, We are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. And so there's this sense that we can look really good on the outside and we can come and gather together as if nothing's wrong, but God sees right on the inside of us and he sees when we're inconsistent and he sees when we come to him to worship and actually we're not in a place to do it. He sees when we've got relationships that need to be, to be mended and he says to us, actually, the things that are really important are those things and not actually being in this house until you fix those things up. The second verse is from Micah 6 and it says, what can we bring to the Lord? And he talks about all sorts of things that we could offer as sacrifices to God, even to the extent of sacrificing our firstborn children to pay for our sins. And he says, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. 
You know, this Old Testament principle is the one that Jesus reiterates in the New Testament that we only come to worship when our relationships have been put right. The prophets made much of the futility of worshipping God uh, without a corresponding consistency and purity and, uh, of life and, and relationship. And when we come to the New Testament, some of the, uh, the New Testament writers who wrote letters said some really beautiful things about not allowing these things that uh, could cause our relationships to, to uh, blow up, not allowing them to fester. In Romans 13 it says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Let, I love that verse. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And then in James he says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I wonder as you sit here this morning, are you prepared to accept responsibility? If each of us was honest with ourselves, we could probably name somebody this morning where we're actually not in the sort of relationship that we believe we should be in with them. We'd like it to be better. We sense there's been something that's come between us and maybe we've been the cause of it. So I wonder as you sit here this morning, Ramon's expressed to us just what brokenness looked like for him. I wonder for you, maybe you're sitting here and you're feeling, actually I'm, I'm broken too. Um, maybe there's relationships in your life that have fallen apart or that are falling apart. A relationship with a husband, a wife, a child, a parent. I was listening to the radio the other day around lunchtime on uh, 774 and there was an interview with somebody who'd written a book. I didn't get the full gist of it but the book was called Mothers and Fathers and it seemed to be just people talking about their mothers and fathers but the people who were ringing in were just expressing this incredible regret about what they had wanted to do or what they had wanted to say uh, in relationship to their parents and hadn't had the opportunity to say or had missed the opportunity or had blown the opportunity and some of these were from relationships where they hadn't spoken for a long time and the, the sense of regret and pain and what they'd missed out on was, was just immense. It was, it was almost bringing you to tears as you listened to it in the car. I wonder maybe you're in that situation this morning where if you think about a relationship that you once had that was good and now it's not good and maybe you've been the cause of that. You see, life brings on us all sorts of difficult circumstances and people will wound you, life will wound you, circumstances will wound you. It's almost inevitable, it's happened in the past, it's going to happen in the future because we're all broken. But accepting responsibility to repair that brokenness doesn't always mean that you accept the blame for causing every problem. There are some times when you can say it's not my fault. But when you know that you've caused the pain and when you need to set things right in a relationship, I think each of us needs to realise that at any given moment we've got the power to say this is not how the story is going to end. And so as you think about those relationships in your life today, just think of those words and maybe accept responsibility this morning. This is not how the story is going to end. What can I do to make the story different? 
am I prepared to say these seven simple words and maybe a few more um, to the person who I've grieved, who I've hurt, who I'm estranged from? So are you prepared to make the first move? I was talking to Troy during the week and uh, Bron has this thing that she does with kids and I think these are the, this is an apology, Bron, these words. Is that right? And uh, it's a little more than that I was wrong. Will you forgive me? But it's beautiful. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's an expression of remorse. I was wrong. I admit responsibility. What can I do to make it right? I realise that sometimes there'll be a need for some sort of restitution. I need to do something. I'll try not to do it again. I'm actually showing repentance. I want to turn around. I want to go in a different direction. I want to do things differently. And ask, will you forgive me? Just request that from the person. So I suggest that it might even be worth you writing those things down. They're really simple, really basic. But if you need to make the first move with somebody, those five things are just a magnificent start. And remember in all of this, we're not actually making excuses. We're coming to the person. All we're wanting to do is make things right. You know, as you hear this this morning, you probably say, that's really, really hard. That is really hard. And so the last point I challenge you with is, is that we have the opportunity, you know, to call out to God for help. Do you find it hard to admit you're wrong? I know I do. And my wife probably suffers because of it. But maybe you, admitting you're wrong seems that makes you feel incredibly weak and, and vulnerable and exposed. But it can perhaps be the most liberating thing that you can ever do to uh, bring life back into a relationship. But you might be sitting here this morning and you say, hey, I can't do it. Well, I just suggest to you that you need God's help and God is willing and able to help you in every situation of your life. And Ramon has just testified to that magnificently this morning that he now senses God on his side and uh, as he trusts in God and hands things over to God, he knows that God will see him through. Maybe you're finding it really hard to feel any love at all for the person that you should be reaching out to well then you need to reach out to God because he's reached out to you in Jesus in the book of Romans in the New Testament says that God demonstrated his great love to us in this that while we were still sinners Christ died for us God has reached out to each one of us in Jesus and he asks you to simply reach out to him admit that you're sorry Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come into your life. He wants to do that. Then he's going to sing us a beautiful song. It's called Mystery. And there's a sense in which uh, there's a mystery about our life and about our relationships. And there's a mystery about the way God works in each of us. But when we call out to him for help, we know that his love endures forever and his love can permeate our lives and if we allow him to. And some of the words in that song are on the, the last bottom of that slide. It says something about he changes me. His love endures forever. It changes me. It makes me whole. It makes me better. So as you sit there this morning, as you listen to this song, maybe this is your opportunity to call out to God. Say, God, I need your love. I need you to work through me to change me so that I can be whole, so that I can be better, so that I can reach out to the person who I've grieved and make a difference.